Welcome back to The Scruggs Show. I am your host, Natasha Scruggs, and I'm here at Let It Fly Media. If you hear somebody talking in the background, that's my friend Justin over here at Let It Fly. He's going to help me today. What's up? <laughs> Always great to have you. Yes. He, he is the mastermind behind <laughs> the, the keys. <laughs> so um, today is kind of interesting because I'm actually, when I leave here, I'm going to go do a protest downtown um, with attorney with another local attorney, and we're basically asking asking um, the city and the courts to waive some some fees for our clients. Uh, and that's kind of, it's good to it's good that I'm doing that today because that's kind of what I'm talking about today. So today we're going to dive deep into prison abolition. What does it actually mean? What would the future look like if, you know, if it happened? And why is it important and why I think that everybody should at least consider it. You know, I never would say you should do it or you should advocate for it, but it's just it's good for people to start thinking about it and start looking at it. So um, my protest cases. So obviously there's like international protests going on based on police brutality and Kansas City was not absent. Kansas City was a big part of the protest from day one. And um Kansas City Police Department was getting a lot of backlash nationally and even some internationally by, you know, administering uh, tear gas and pepper spray and different things like that. And um, they arrested a lot of people, hundreds of people when the protest first started. So what myself and another attorney, Stacey Shaw, we started to represent these people pro bono. So when we did that, we a first step was to get all the charges dismissed. So now all the cases are dismissed and now we're trying to file for an expungement, but everybody would have to pay for the expungements. It's going to be, it's going to cost, like the city will get like $30,000 from people if everybody wanted to get an expungement. And we don't think that that's fair. So um, the attorney, Stacey Shaw, she actually was arrested when she was out there trying to help people. She wasn't even, you know, she wasn't talking to the police. She wasn't doing anything wrong. She was trying to help people. And basically, we think that all of this is a good example on why police in this instance shouldn't exist. Um, if people are out there trying to protest their rights, they have the First Amendment right, they have the right to peacefully protest, they have the right to assemble, all of these different things. And just the sight of people out there doing it is a problem. They shouldn't be able to send people who are militarized with guns, with weapons, with spray, with tear gas to them. And that's what we're pretty much arguing. I get a lot of questions online all the time and they say like what do you mean by this and what is this and why are you even saying this cuz I mean if Yeah, I'm you- not going to lie like when I saw your Instagram <laughs> at first I was like one of the first things you see is prison abolitionists and I was like <laughs> what does that even mean like right. I know what abolition is I know what prison is obviously but like the idea of putting it together and actually you right. know, getting rid of the entire uh like system of prisons just I've never thought about it personally. Right. Yeah. And I didn't either. Like I, when I first started thinking about it, it was because my uncle started telling me about, you know, people shouldn't be in jail and prison. And I thought that they should. And then I started to do my research. And what I noticed is in America, at least when we do when when we do something, we think that's the way that you do it. And um, I'm actually writing a book. It's interesting called Prison is a Paradigm because uh, a paradigm is a set of habits and um, people think that it's lost. For example, somebody said that 
in their family the way that they cut. Say if you, the way you cut the turkey. No, this is the way we cut the turkey. And another family <laughs> says <laughs> it's something that simple. This is how we done it. <laughs> yeah, nobody we, changing. Okay, this is how you do it. And like couples, I don't know if it's real, but I've seen like married couples. They said that a couple like divorced over that. Like, no, we do it like this. No, we do it <laughs> like that. And and the point is, is that it's many ways to do anything. And so just because the way that we currently address crimes is mm-hmm. jail and prison, that doesn't mean that that's the only way to address it. And uh, when I got to, to college, I was a criminal justice major and I learned all the different forms of punishment. And I was like, wow. So I learned how we came, how America came to to do this. And it's really some old England stuff. And I feel like we don't have to stick to this. Like, okay, that's how it was, but that doesn't mean that we need to continue to do it. So incarceration is one method, which basically means you put somebody in a cage and let them serve their time. And that's supposed to help society. Obviously, even if you look at recidivism rates, even if you look at crime rates, uh, the United States has way more than quadrupled its prison size, but the crime rate doesn't go up or down necessarily. It really stays moderate, like it stays the same. So I would say ever since the 80s is when the prison population like rose to 2.2 million and our parole population is about 8 million, a little bit less, probation and parole. Um, And after all of that, after all these billions of dollars and after all these millions of, you know, people being in prison and jails, nothing, the crime rate has not significantly went down. So the purpose of incarceration in America doesn't work. And to be honest, that's why um, I think slavery abolition worked, because at some point it didn't make financial sense for the United States to have all these people who were not paying taxes, who were not um, able to even earn money to have all these people in, in America. And that's why, like, people, I think a lot of people think that people who were abolitionists of slavery were, like, humanitarians, and really they weren't. They weren't, like, these people who, like, were so sad that people were being hurt. It didn't make sense. It didn't make sense in America, and it didn't make sense worldwide. And that's where we're getting to with the prison abolition. Right now, it's costing so much money. I mean, and prison abolition is not just prisons. It's the, it's the systems that keep the prison in place. So that means the police, that means, you know, the the jails, that means the correctional officers. It just, it's everything. Even even my, my major, which is criminal justice, that major didn't exist <laughs> prior to the prisons booming. And so it's like, this is a whole new world that was created and it's not working. So some of the other things that I learned about was, in, um, was rehabilitation. So rehabilitation is one where a lot of people know about it because a lot of people that have substance abuse problems, they go to rehab. Rehab is where you're supposed to get counseling. You're supposed to kind of detox. So the different types of addressing crime is incarceration, rehabilitation. That's that. Deterrence. So deterrence is basically setting up systems that will deter people from even committing crimes in the first place. Um, Prison abolition, it it has a lot of components of deterrence in it. Restoration, which means you restore, in, in prison abolition terms, we're restoring communities so that people won't even have the need to do crimes because a lot of the 
crimes that people focus on are crimes of poverty and um, retribution is the other one. So when I learned of all of these different ones, I started to research different criminal justice systems that were not in America. And I saw that some people don't have some people don't even have police. And if they do, they don't have they don't they're not armed. So they don't have like a militarized method to, quote unquote, addressing crime. Some places like Denmark or different uh, different European countries they don't even have what we consider prison. Like what they have as a quote unquote prison is like a dorm room. You can leave, you can come back. Um, it's technology. I mean, it looks like an American dorm room. So I was like, wow, this is kind of crazy. Now, there are some, um, like the United States has Guantanamo Bay, and that is like one of the most inhumane um, prisons. And in Guantanamo, Guantanamo Bay, people don't really have rights there, and that's why they put it over there, so they can do things like waterboarding or other inhumane stuff. So it's a long spectrum of, like, addressing crimes, and it's all based on, like, this old theory, and I feel like in 2020 and beyond, we can, as a society, come together and figure out other ways to address crimes. So... Why prison abolition? Yeah, you've explained kind of the issues with the current uh, criminal reform programs and stuff like that and, like, why they don't work, why, you know, like, reincarceration rates are so high even after people serve their their time. So, like, and then you talk about prison abolition. What are some steps, like, what is the first practical step that we as a society kind of take to, like— on this long journey, I'm assuming, of prison abolition. Can you explain that? Yeah. So I think the first step is that society has to stop being complacent with it. So that's that's kind of like what we see right now, quote unquote, unrest, where we're saying, no, like, we're not okay. Like, when someone goes to jail, people are getting bailed out instantly now. Um, when someone is killed by the police or hurt by the police, people aren't just walking to their cars and acting like they don't see it. People are stopping, they're recording, they are saying no, and people, that's the first step. The first step is saying, this is wrong, we know that this is the way that you normally do things, but it's not right. And I I remember when uh, Tamir Rice was killed, this happened. I remember when Mike Brown was killed in my hometown. And honestly, if you look at the initial reactions uh, of the police departments, it's cover up. And the reason why they do that is because no one's normally looking. Like if the society is not looking at them and if society is pretty much like being complacent with this, they're going to keep doing it. So I think that's the first step. And the way that you don't be complacent with actual prisons and jails is to, there's a campaign called hashtag free them all, where we want to end pre-child incarceration. So in America, you're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. However, if you there's an asterisk in there if you're poor, because if you're poor, you're going to be in jail until your trial or until you plead out. And that's not right. That's a capitalistic society issue. And that's that's an issue that everybody has been talking about. And so if somebody who is very wealthy gets arrested, they're going to go home that day. But people who are in jails and prisons. And and what I saw, it really was glaring to me when I was, I worked in the public defender offices in Mississippi and in Georgia, and they had a lot of people who were homeless brought in for these, for these petty 
petty little crimes. And of course they couldn't bail out because they were homeless. They didn't have a dollar to their names. That's not right for that to happen in our society. And and if people start to say, like, look, you know, I'm we're not with this. Like, we're not agreeing to this because our tax dollars are paying for the police. They're pay, it's paying for, you know, our counties, for our jails, for our for our courts. And if we say, no, we don't want this, you know, it broke my heart to see those homeless people in there. And then the first person that I represented as a public defender when I worked in Jackson, Mississippi, he was homeless, but I didn't know because he was in jail. And so I worked like all day to get him out. And I was so happy. And I was like, okay, so who do you want me to call? And he was like, call my mom. I called his mom. She was like, he, he know he can't come home. And I'm like, okay, call somebody else. And they was like, he can't come here. And I was like, oh, so where are you going to go? He was like, oh, it's okay. I was homeless anyway. I'm just going to go on the street. I'm like, whoa. So they arrested him for, you know, they arrest homeless people for being homeless. <laughs> they It's like, quote, unquote, homeless crimes, like trespassing, um, using the bathroom, uh, trying to get food, trying to get money, quote, unquote, soliciting money. So they'll arrest them for being homeless, lock them up, and then they give them a $1,000 bail. They can't bail out. They plead out, go back, and do it again. Um, that's just one example. But pre-trial detention should not exist. It will probably end a lot of the municipal courts because a lot of municipal court cases are those pre-trial cases. And that includes, like, driving without a license. That includes, you know, driving without insurance. People go to jail for those things. So I would say that about 60 to 70 percent of all the 2.2 million are pre-trial. Now, a lot of the other ones, they have went to trial or they took a plea, but that's problematic as well. So I just feel like the first step that we can do right now is either bail everybody out, which is going to cost a lot of money, and it's also going to benefit the the very system that we're trying to dismantle, or um, fight for legislation so that there will not be pretrial and close all the, 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 the county jails and the city jails. Um, what about more obvious stuff like the tough on crime movement that you've kind of heard in the news or even stuff that started back in like the 90s and the 2000s, like the war on drugs? Yeah. Um, so it's crazy because now Trump is talking about uh, tough on crime and he's also saying he was just saying a lot of stuff that hasn't that we haven't heard from a politician since the 80s. And back when Reagan, when Reagan was the president, he initiated this tough on crime movement. And a lot of judges, current and previous judges, ran on that. And what that movement said is that if there is a crime, um, we're gonna put, we're gonna like throw the book at people. Before that, the jails and prisons were not filled because if it was a petty crime or something, they would just the prosecutors wouldn't prosecute, and the judges would throw it out. But now. Ever since then, it was like any little thing, like I said, littering. Like I have clients that have been charged with littering and they are a lot of them, uh, you know, they're not homeless, but they don't they're outside all the time. And some of them could be college students and some of them are homeless because I do uh, special cases for the public defender. And um, ever since then, it's been put them to jail, put them to jail, put them to jail, put all this money into the criminal defense. I mean, criminal justice system and put all of these people in jail. Once they're in jail, work out a deal with the prosecutor, plea. And that's why 95 
and up percent of all cases plead out. And a lot of these people are innocent, but it's better to plead out for them than to sit in jail. So they take a plea, they may take a misdemeanor, they may take a felony, but they may get probation. And you'll be surprised if you if you don't have any uh, experience in this or if you don't have like family that have been involved in this, you'll be surprised as, as to how many people have taken a plea and they're innocent. Gotcha. Um, like you kind of explained the first step to prison abolition. Um, and I'm sure there's, it's a long road, but like, what would you say in that, you know, five, 10, 25 year kind of journey that you have to go, what's like going to be the hardest thing for people to wrap their heads around and like for society as a whole to like get on board? Like, what is that big thing that you worry about? Oh, this is where people aren't going to like stick with it. Or this is where people fall off and like, oh, I don't, I don't mess with that anymore. I think the biggest thing is people are people. So there's a lot of fear mongering. And so people are saying like, well, if there's no prisons, what about the quote unquote bad guys? And, and I talk about this because a lot of the crimes that people are considering a quote unquote bad guy crime, um, it's, it's like five crimes that they're saying, um, people are committing, but there's so many other crimes that people get away with. Like the, even when we come, when, even when it comes to the police, the police aren't that good at like investigating crimes. So there's so many issues that happen where people, you know, become victims, but they never find out who did it. I mean, I know a lot of people who have been murdered, have been killed, have been robbed, whatever the case may be. And, um, Nobody knows what happened. So it's not the police being there is not preventing crime. The police being there is something is addressing what has already happened. Prison abolition is trying to go before that. So a, a good analogy that I have for abolition is the people that are getting killed by the police and the people that are in jails and prison is the last domino of a of a million dominoes of oppression that have fell. And it's and focusing on just like the last domino, it's kind of like pointing the finger at like, why did you fall? And not looking at all the millions of things that fell is an issue. And so we have to go all the way back. And that's why I talk about um, even the school to prison pipeline. That's not even for, as far back as it needs to go. Um, we have to go all the way back and address the systems. And it's crazy because I kind of went viral on Twitter this week. I posted a image of the Del Mar Loop in St. Louis. It's a street called Del Mar Boulevard. And on one side, it's like 99% African-American. And um, the the household income is low. The, the school systems are, uh, a lot of them are unaccredited. And then on the, the very other side of the street, it's like, 80% uh, white people, um, uh, most of them have higher degrees. Most of the schools are way higher ranked. And that's one of the issues, that's the issue of, of pri that prison abolition would address. We have redlining, we have gerrymandering, we have schools that are unaccredited, and all of these things lead up to that person being in jail lead up to that person being um, possibly killed by the police. Like, for example, Mike Brown, he went to Normandy, which is an unaccredited school. And when you I don't know if people know this, but if you go to an unaccredited school, you cannot get into college. I've called schools that are even uh, even pending accreditation. I've called 
schools here in Kansas City, UMKC, different schools like that, because Hickman Mills is currently unaccredited. That is an unaccredited school district. And I asked them, would you take a kid from there? And they said no. So what we're doing is when 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 redlining, which is the system of when banks were denying loans uh, for black families in certain areas of the city and only allowing loans in, in, in small areas, when that happens, you're basically cutting the opportunities for all the kids further. And when opportunities are cut and kids don't have programs, like I played, I played the violin and I was played the bas- I played basketball and I did color guard. But if I didn't have all of those opportunities, what what, what are kids gonna do after that? Then you have higher. Then you have police that are in the neighborhoods. Kids are scared. They're going and running and hiding just because police come. We even did that. Um, at the end of when they grow up, when they become 18 years old or when they become 16, 17, 18, what are they going to do? Like, that's what abolition is addressing. We're addressing the the school disparities. We're addressing economic violence. We're addressing the issues with jobs. So all of these things, all the money, the billions of dollars of money that has been funneling into the criminal justice system, funneling into the prisons, whether public or private, funneling into you know, the police departments. I mean, they said that the New York Police Department has a multi-billion dollar budget every year while there's kids, as we know, that don't even have a a good public school to go to. Um, We would take all that money and we would redistribute it to people that need housing, to people who need jobs. I mean, a lot of the issues with education, it's just so many different issues. Like, People, when it comes to like standardized testing and kids being prepared, you can look at two different schools, even here in Missouri, and it's it's clear that even though they're both public schools, this school is getting 10 times more funding. And all of these kids are going to go to college, and these kids can't even get into college. So it... I feel like if they want to wrap their mind around, like, what are we going to do, we need to look in the future. We need to look in, what are we doing for these kids now? Because it's not a myth that prisons are built based on third grade, third graders, third grade testing scores. As a criminal defense attorney and as a criminal justice major, I call myself a criminal justice expert. I know that these numbers are not false. They're very real. So... I think that's what people will probably have an issue wrapping their head around, like imagining, I call it to reimagine the world. You know, if like the police brutality cases, a lot of the a lot of the times when police are called, it's not a crime happening. Um, Ray Shard, who was in uh, Atlanta, Ray Shard Brooks, he was sleeping in his car. And if prisons didn't exist and if police didn't exist and we had other systems that were community made, community based, they would literally go to his car, knock on the door. Hey, sir, are you OK? It'll be more of a, a checkup, you know. Yeah. the Like one of the biggest things I've heard online is there's. Currently, we ask police to do a lot of things, and I don't think anyone can deny that. But in reality, a lot of the times when the only option is to call police for like because we ask them to do so much stuff, the best option for the actual person or whatever situation is being called on is not for a person with a gun who, you know, is ready to fire to show up, if that makes sense. So, like, can you talk about um, like if police 
didn't exist, if the system of police didn't exist, what are other institutions or what are like other, maybe like you mentioned, community driven uh, groups or like facilities that can thrive where um, funding for police would be, you know, spread out to those and how that would change the dynamic of not a police call, but like a wellness call or a, wellness a, a call. checkup or something right? other than a guy showing up with a gun. Right. And that's where, that's where, like you said, what can we do? That's where our complacency comes in. If like, we don't have to even engage in this system if we don't want to, if communities got together and say, if we wanted to say, um, we don't want to call the police on kids anymore <laughs> because right now in public schools, in grade schools, they call the police on kids. Like if a kid brings a lock to school, they call the police. And it's crazy. I didn't know how bad it was um, until my first year in law school. I worked in a, a, a juvenile court and there was a juvenile jail that was attached to it. And it was so normalized to have these kids. I'm talking about eight years old and up. In, in jail. And I'm like, what is going on? What did they do? Oh, they got in trouble in class. Oh, they did this, three strikes. They have like the same system that we have on the quote unquote outside, the kids had on the inside. Now, what if there was a, in every single district, you know, there was a different way to address it. Like address what's going on with these kids. Like you said, a wellness check. Sometimes something could be happening to them at home. They could be getting abused. They could be hungry. They could not have, you know, clothes. You know, a lot of things. I mean, where do we get where are we as a society if eight year olds, nine year olds, and ten year olds are seen like that? And um, the term super predators was coined by uh, Hillary Clinton, and she was talking about kids like that back in the 90s, saying that, look, these kids are predators and started to kind of like demonize them. So we have to address the the white supremacy uh, elephant in the room where white kids aren't treated the same as black kids. I know like some of my white friends that I went to college with, they told me all of this stuff that they used to get away with. And I'm like, there is no way that. I myself could have ever gotten away with that. I've even seen them like curse cops out and do stuff after getting pulled over. And I was in the passenger seat like, what are you doing? They will kill you. And they're like, they can't touch me. Like it's so the way that they deal with uh, deal with black kids, deal with black people is is highly aggressive. And if people if communities got together and said, okay, if this happens, this is the number that we're gonna call. If this happens, this is the number that we're gonna call. You know, if if we see somebody hurt, we're gonna do this. Like we have to pretty much take the community back into our own hands instead of calling and that's the thing, we don't know who to call. Like right now we don't have those systems in place. And that's why if we start thinking about abolition rather than reform, we would have those things in place. Okay, and then so a couple like kind of counterpoints that people will say to that is like, why don't we just increase like the funding for training of officers? Like if we just make our current officers better, wouldn't that just solve the problem? So right, and I had answered this online. It's been seen for the past 40 years that that doesn't work. Every time we increase funding, I mean, the funding for policing increases every week or every month or every year, whatever the case may be. And they get new policies. But if you see every police brutality case, I have like a, a chart. There's I could just look at all the policies that were broken. So there are current policies that are in place. 
but they don't work when it comes to black people because they react in a certain way. I don't know if it's their training. I don't think it's their training. Um, they have policies. They have laws. There's been laws ever since the 14th Amendment on how to treat people. There's been laws uh, in the 13th Amendment, 14th Amendment, 15th Amendment, um, all of that. There's, there's, there's state laws. There's ordinances. And all of these are often broken when dealing with uh, people and especially black people or brown people. Um, when that happens, when policies and procedures are broken— and when laws are broken by state actors, people that are paid by the state, we can't address that with saying, okay, let's get new policies, let's get new laws. We already have policies and laws. Now, if we have new policies and laws that are that are towards prison abolition, that's a different story. And that's like like Colorado just passed a law this week that's that ended qualified immunity. That's good because qualified immunity says that um, even though a police officer did wrong. They, they're, we're not going to charge them. They're immune. And it shouldn't be absolute immunity. So, like, people like the president, in certain respects, <laughs> are supposed to have, like, absolute immunity. Um, judges, like Supreme Court judges, they have, like, absolute immunity. So whatever. So even though there were Supreme Court judges that were facilitating, accommodating slavery, they, they were immune after it was done. But police officers are supposed to have qualified immunity, so that means that it's only immune. It's on, it, it only qualifies if certain factors are present. But right now, the way that courts are using qualified immunity is like they're basically giving them absolute immunity, meaning, yes, they did something wrong. Yes, they broke policies. Yes, they broke procedures. Yes, they broke laws, but they're immune. Um, eliminating that in Colorado is a good thing. So if we if we have new laws and new policies that are towards abolition or towards ending, you know, dismantlement, yes. But if but if we have new policies and procedures that are just furthering, giving them more things to learn, but that they're not going to do, I think it's a waste of time. Um, like the whole chokehold situation, you know, a lot of uh, chokeholds are illegal in a lot of places, but the police still do them. Um, the kneeling that Officer Derek Chauvin did on George Floyd's neck he was specifically told in his training, and he had just went through a training that said, don't do this, this is inherently dangerous, and he did it anyway. So I don't think that giving them more money, and I say this, anybody who thinks that you should give the police more money, they should, before they ask that question, they should look at the budget that they already have. Because if you look at that budget, you're going to say, wow, they have a lot of money already. Gotcha. Um, so 50 years from now, like, Let's say prison abolition does um, find its way to integrate into society. Where do like actual violent criminals go? Like you talked about criminals who get ticketed for for littering or for soliciting money or whatever, um, and they can st they have a chance to still go to jail. But what do we what do we do about like actual um, like murders or or people who commit heinous crimes? Where do those people go? So a lot of those people. Um like, even if we take, like, some of the people that did, like, the worst stuff ever, um, a lot of people would say that they had something that was some defect, some mental defect, some behavioral defect, some emotional defect. The people that are in jail now, which will still be in jail in 50 years, like, people who are in jail for, like, capital murder or felony murder, prison abolition is not going to necessarily help those that are already in 
prison abolition is going to help the future so that it doesn't get that bad. Mm-hmm. Addressing those, and I, and I will say, it's a very small percentage. I would say it's about 5%, 5 to 10%, if that, of all people in jails or prisons are there for heinous crimes. A lot of it is nonviolent drug offenses or nonviolent other offenses. Um, but if that small percentage of people, you know, we would have to have in every state and federally, there would have to be new departments put together to figure out what to do. So that's the other thing about prison abolition. Prison abolition doesn't mean we have all the answers today. It means that we're 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 gonna seek the answers. We're gonna get all the the, the smartest minds around the world, put them together, and come up with better solutions. Yeah, solutions that would keep them from from recommitting crimes. Because if they say if somebody got twenty years, we don't want them to have twenty years in jail, prison, come out, and. What are they going to do now? Are they going to be, are, are they, because right now when people come out, they don't even have the option to like get a, they can't get like home loans. They can't get, they can't go to school. They can't get uh, welfare. They can't get food stamps. Like any of those things that you want to get, you can't get it because of the, the way that the system is set up, you're, you have to list that you're a felon mm-hmm. and very few jobs will, will hire a felon. They, they barely want to hire you if you have a DUI on your record. Uh, so it would be a better system than, okay, you did this, we're going to lock you up and we're going to throw you away and then when you go out, do whatever. It, we're gonna, we want to find better solutions that will help society as a whole and actually help the person. Because we focus so much on punishment in the incarceration realm, we don't even try to help those people. I want to stop looking at people as them and looking at them as the bad guys and that they need to be, you know, thrown away because that whole ideal is uh, opposite of prison abolition because right now the reason why people get raped, killed, brutalized in prison and the justifications for it um, is, well, they did something bad. No, we have to get out of that. We have to understand that as a society that if we allow that to happen to even the quote-unquote least of us, that it can happen to any of us. And that's what breeds prison, that's what breeds police brutality. Where people, I mean, if you go online right now, people are saying, look, Mike Brown deserved to die. Tamir Rice, who was 12 years old with a with a fake gun, a toy gun, he deserved to die. He would have been 18 today. Today is his birthday. Um Mike Brown deserved to die. They say Mike Brown deserved to die. He was running away. Um, he was unarmed, and then he had his hands up. Uh, they say all of these people deserve to die. Why? Because the creation of the image of a quote-unquote criminal um, has justified in a lot of Americans' minds the brutalization, the criminalization of them. So we have to we have to just change our whole out, outlook on it. I mean— it's it's totally different than what society is right now, but I believe that it would be so much better if people actually wanted crimes to, to be lower, if people actually wanted, you know, less people in prison and wanted any of the things that they're saying, this isn't working. You know, if 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 the United States was a corporation, which a lot of people say it is, and if the current criminal justice system was put in place to stop crimes, it doesn't work. So it should stop. Like if I had a system at my firm that wasn't working, I wouldn't keep doing it for another hundred years. You know, we would have to get some people. Maybe I'm not, 
maybe I haven't figured it out. Maybe I need to consult with somebody. One one thing that I think is like people are so scared of change. Like people say to me, well, what are we going to do? I'm like, just because we've had this system our whole lives does not mean we have to keep having it. I mean, we used to have phones that you had to, you know, turn to just make a call. Now we have iPhones. The same way that we innovate the phones, the same way that we innovate computers. Like if the Apple came out, when I don't even remember when Apple came out, like 90 or 80 or something. I don't know. The computer. And if it never upgraded, would people still buy it? No, because it would be outdated. I have the iPhone 10. There's a new iPhone 11 out. But would I buy the iPhone, the first iPhone that ever happened, that ever came out? And would I spend money on it? Would I keep getting it? No. And Apple upgrades. They It's so many updates every day. That's how society should be. We yeah. should not be focused on something that happened back in the 1500s and brought it over here to America. And now this is our system. Yeah. A lot of the reasons why tech companies like innovate, it's, it's they're saying is like you innovate for the customer and that drives competition, which drives better stuff for us. Like if you have, you know, five different companies all producing great products, then it helps us. It drives prices down. So why shouldn't society um, like innovate for not just the customer, but like even more base level, like why shouldn't society innovate for a human being who's being treated, you know, primitively in, in, in ways that, you know, are so archaic and stuff like that. And yeah. So, and the um, big, that's, that's so true. Like human beings. And then the, the big, the big issue, the reason why I got into it is because I saw the connection between the institution of American chattel slavery to prisons and to the death penalty and so many innocent people. And I'm like, wow, how can we have a society that did something so inhumane and now is continuing to perpetuate that same ideal in a new way? I just think that if there was a system, like say if we went to to Germany and there was a system in place that was criminalizing, brutalizing, beating the majority of, of Jews that were there, would that fly after, you know, the Holocaust? I don't think it would. And so, like you're saying, it doesn't seem to me, it doesn't seem like we've innovated at all. It doesn't seem like we've upgraded. You know, even the text in the 13th Amendment, which ended slavery, it said, you know, there shall not be any slavery or servitude except for punishment of a crime. And a lot of people think that the 13th Amendment should be abolished because of that, because they think that it kind of allow for this system to happen. I mean, it's very disgusting. I think that a lot of people are, I think that one way that we're complacent in it and, and it's designed that way is that people, like the prisons that are in Missouri are not in the cities. You know, they're, they're you got to drive to them. They're way yeah. out. And if and in every state, they're all the way out. And you don't know unless you have somebody in there. And if you have somebody in there, you go, you just see that person, but you don't see what's behind those closed doors. And it's sick. And if you're not uh, like me, when I became an attorney, I was like, this is, I can't see people shackled and I can't see people like this. Like, this is not natural. This is not normal. This is not right. Uh, I'm sure we could go on for like years and years <laughs> talking about this, but like, even for me, I consider myself a pretty well-versed individual. Like I went to, I have a higher education. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty consistently on social media, constantly reading, fact-checking stuff. Um, but even 
stuff you've said and not not just today, but like in past weeks, I've heard you say like, I didn't know that. I didn't know, um, just an example, about 10 minutes ago, you said uh, the number of people actually incarcerated who commit violent, violent crimes is a certain percentage when I thought like my, um, my misconception is that, oh, probably at least half or maybe even more of people in prison are for um, violent crime. And that's just like, from what you said, it's just not the case. Right. And so even like, like I, I, I pride myself in, in being like educated. And mm-hmm. so it's difficult if you're not constantly having to um, like research this, if you're not having this dialogue, having this conversation. Um, I think that should be a, a reason, a like, um, a factor, not a factor, but just compelling people to go learn about it because like there's a lot of stuff that unless you are doing this, you just don't know. Right. Yeah. And the biggest part that people don't know is because they're institutionalized. So if the schools are institutionalized, the jails are institutionalized, the prisons are institutionalized, you basically believe it. It's kind of like you're you've bought in to the ideas that is that is that are constantly um you know, giving out. And it's it's a very minority ideal. Like what I'm what I say what I talk about is not the average the average lawyer is not talking about it. The average person is not talking about it. But that's just because I've studied it for the last 10 years and even before that. So we need people who are well versed in that area to help come up with this stuff. Um, a lot of attorneys kind of just fall in line and say, this is the way that the system is, and I never wanted to do that. I came into it knowing that I wanted to change the system, and I knew that the system was not right. Um, And I feel like if people do want to learn, you know, I definitely want to teach and want to help. And I'm also learning every day. I read books all the time, and I'm currently writing a book, which when you write a book, you have to read a lot of books. (laughs) So um, my book is called... uh, Prison, prison is a paradigm, and it's basically saying that it's this is not what it, life has to be. Life is um, going to be different if we imagine different things, and the habits that America has and the the current systems that we have can be and should be dismantled. Yeah, uh, I don't think there's really much left to say. Obviously, if you like I see people interacting with you on your Instagram, on Twitter and stuff like that. And so if you'd like to learn more, definitely check out uh, Natasha on, on social media. And it's always great to have you. Like I, <laughs> I, I enjoy sitting here just, just like just listening and watching like, oh, dang. <laughs> right. Yeah, I should probably do me. more research. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I'm going to do more stuff like this though. Yeah. But if you follow me on Twitter, attorney Scruggs, follow me on Instagram, attorney Scruggs. Uh, you can go to justassystem.org. That's my website. Um, I have done community projects. Like I do a future lawyers camp every year. And I this year I can't do it physically, but I will do it online. Where I'm trying to teach kids this stuff early so that they know. Because they're in the system, but they don't know. That's unfortunate. They just know. they're sc- I mean, I ask the kids, like, what do you think about police? And they say, we're scared of them. They don't like us. They want to push us down. I'm talking about 10-year-olds understand this. And as we know, there's been kids that have been affected by this. Their parents have been killed by the police or incarcerated. You know, I call them victims of the mass incarceration uh, 
system. And uh, I think that we are in, if in my opinion, I think we're in a legal crisis. Uh, and I think that America has been in this legal crisis for the past 40 years. And I think that if we want real change, then we can do it. So that's my stance on it. Well, Natasha, I appreciate you letting me hop on and uh, <laughs> hope I didn't slow you down too much with no, my questions. No, no, so. I'm so glad. Yeah, I'm doing this solo today and I'm, I'm about to go to this uh, protest. So thank y'all for listening. Subscribe, like, comment. Have a good day.